Grace, mercy, and peace, and indeed honor, are yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, from God our Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, we, <clears throat> we are, as humans, we are brokers, dealers, you might say, of honor and shame. This isn't something that we normally think of. We don't always think in these categories, but shame is a powerful force, and it, and it forms us, it shapes us, it, it drives us oftentimes. And so we don't always see it, but it's there. And if you have eyes to see, to recognize it, the extent to which we go to avoid shame and, and to lift ourselves up, to give ourselves honor, can be quite astounding. So, for instance, I remember a, an instance uh, from my own life. I was a kid, and it was just after some event at church. I don't, it, maybe it was a potluck or something. I don't remember exactly. But we're in the gym, and there's a big divider that cuts the room into two. And people are putting things away, and so they're going to roll this big divider up. And the, the mechanism that lifts it, it, it's slow, but it's powerful. And so being a kid, I thought it would be cool to pull up my arm into my jacket sleeve and kind of hit it like, oh, I'm so fast, it can't catch me. I'm so cool until I wasn't. And my jacket sleeve got caught. And all I knew to do was to panic and try, without any success, to get loose. Now, fortunately, my, my dad was right there next to me, and he saw what was going on, and he yelled out to the guy who was operating the mechanism, and, and you know everything was okay. But I was utterly humiliated by this experience. I felt so stupid, and I, and I looked across the gym, and I saw people laughing, and in hindsight, I, I, I'm sure it had nothing to do with me, but when you see someone laughing and you feel ashamed, you know, you know in your mind that they are laughing at you. And so I felt so overwhelmed with shame that I had to get out of there. I, I couldn't show my face ever again in that place. But we do this in other ways, too. We do this with our churches. So we see the church down the street, and we start to compare ourselves, and, and we see, why are there so many people at that church when we have such a great church here? Our church is great. Why don't we have as many people as them? As if attendance is some standard that God set up. But we, we compare ourselves, and, and we feel ashamed that we don't meet this standard that the world has set, this standard of numbers, and so we try to find ways to build ourselves up, to honor ourselves, to give ourselves more prestige, and so we play with our identity, and we change who we are, because shame is an identity thing. It attacks us at our very core, and so we try to deal with that shame. We try to replace it with some kind of self-chosen form of honor rather than using the standard that God gives us. And, of course, uh, there's social media. This is the new public platform through which we exchange honor and shame. And Pastor Braun reminded me in Bible study today that 
when we're dealing with shame, we're often talking about lies, right? And so when we get onto social media, there's often some kind of lie involved. Now, if you're like me, I try to stay away from it as much as possible. Uh, and so you, you kind of avoid it. But if you run into someone who does use social media, you usually feel like you have to kind of justify why you're not involved like everyone else. Uh, there's a standard, and you have to give some reason, some explanation as to why you're not meeting that standard of participation like everyone else. Who set that standard? It wasn't God, I'll tell you that. But then if you are involved, typically here's what happens is there's this lie that everyone puts up. They put up the best of their life. Everything's great, guys. I've got this great job. I've got this great vacation. My kids are awesome. They do everything right. There's a big lie. And so then there's pressure. You feel ashamed that my life doesn't look like that but there's a standard set up, and now I don't measure up, and I feel ashamed, so I have, to, I have to find some way to honor myself, to build myself up, to raise myself up in other people's eyes, and so I find my highlight real. I find all the best that I can give, and I hide away all that would cause me any sort of shame or humiliation. Or, you can try this. You can try to step back and extract yourself and, and look out as an observer and say, I'm not going to play that game. I recognize the game that's being played, but I'm better than that. I'm better than that. You guys, you can play that game of lies, but I'm better. And so what you do is now you are shaming other people for participating, and you're honoring yourself for being so much better. So what ends up happening is, even if you try to get away from it, you're still playing a game of honor and shame. You're still buying into this pretense that you are successful and that you have success before God. You're still building yourself up, thinking that you'll have life in this world, that if you meet the world's standards, then you will have life. So whether it's the standard of appearance, your bank account, your kid's popularity, your health, whatever it is, we try to lift ourselves up and meet the standards of the world, telling ourselves then we will have the good life. And so as we do this standard comparison, as we try to measure up, we do a lot of bookkeeping, we keep a lot of records a lot of bean counting. But what we find here as we look in this parable of Jesus this morning is that Jesus goes and confronts the people who live by bookkeeping. He assaulted these fortresses, these big walls that they had built up based on their deeds, their sense of success, the sense that I had chosen my own self-honor. I found ways to build myself up and to avoid the shame that is there. So you see in this parable this morning, this parable that's told in two different parts, it can come across as very much either some common sense, some good advice, or as one commentator said, that it's just a way to ruin a perfectly good party. So on the, on the one hand, it could just be 
good advice, right? That Jesus is giving you a tip on life, on how to get ahead in life. It sounds a lot like our Old Testament text this morning from Proverbs. Verses 6 and 7 said, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to put, be put lower in the presence of a noble. It doesn't sound particularly earth-shattering. We, we live in this world, and, and we can make sense of this. And so, it's not particularly odd. It's like Jesus giving us that one weird tip. If you just do the opposite, then you'll succeed, as if the goal is really just to get to the top of this world. And on the other hand, it could just ruin your evening because you could go out and do what Jesus told the host to do, and you have a party, and, well, you have to invite people to a party, so instead of inviting your friends, your family, the people you know, you just go out on the street and find the homeless people, the people that society has cast out. Polite society would not be with them. And so, yeah, you could do that. You could do a good work. You could help someone in that way. But my guess is what's going to happen is you're going to have a few hours where your polite sensibilities are going crazy while people mess up your house and just assault everything that you think is right. So those are two ways to easily read this, but we know something else is going on in this text. Luke, the writer, tells us that Jesus is telling us a parable. This isn't just good advice. This isn't just a tip no, if, if you were here last week, if you remember, Pastor Braun gave us an introduction to parables, what they are, the, the role of parables, and how they are revealing by concealing. So there, there's something more going on than just direct common sense or, or good advice on how to get ahead in this world. No, Jesus, in this parable, was showing the very heart of God. Because as these people were choosing their places of honor. As they were clawing their way to the top, they were sitting and consulting their record books. Their, their beans counted their records of what they had done right, their own piety. They had chosen rules, and they kept those rules, But uh, believe you me. And then they had good standing in the community, and the society regarded them as good citizens. So they, they ranked, they measured up. And so they were choosing these places. But friends, that's not how God operates. That's not how God sees our worth. That is not how God ranks us, even if that's how the world works. No, in this parable, Jesus reveals the gospel, the heart of God, the God who loves to exalt and honor the lowly. Now, we often call this the great reversal, and we brought it up in Bible study as well, so I'm mentioning that plug for Bible study, go to Bible study. But the great reversal, this is a major theme in Luke, but it's also sometimes uh, called the happy exchange, as Luther calls it. And this isn't just in Luke, this is throughout Scripture. This is how God operates. This is his very heart. And so I have a couple examples. Ezekiel writes, things shall not 
remain as they are. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. And then, of course, Peter and James quote Proverbs in saying that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then, of course, we know the words of our Lord Jesus, who said, Let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And now, nowadays, we, we treat our children with reverence. We treat them with great respect, and we, we love them, we care for them. And in Jesus' day, it's not that they didn't love their children, but they weren't revered. They were uneducated, unlearned. They were people who needed to be formed and raised up. They were not the highest of society. They were the lowest. And so in this parable, Jesus is telling those who have ears to hear, you and me, that he has already called them to his great wedding feast. He calls them to give up on their bean counting, on their bookkeeping, on their record keeping, to give up on their, their dealing, their brokering of guilt and shame, because he doesn't care about their self-chosen forms of honor. Jesus is telling them directly, you are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. But that's okay, because that's who Jesus, that's who God invites to his feast. Jesus calls them to stop seeking, to stop clawing at, to stop holding on to their own self-chosen forms of honor and to accept the lowest place. Because from that lowest place, there they receive the honor that only God gives. But in trying to raise themselves up and holding on to their sense of honor, their sense of glory, their sense of prestige, what they had done on their own steam in this world, they were missing the gift that God was putting into their hand. Yes, Jesus tells them to accept his way, the way of Jesus, the way of humility, the way of death, because that's how God operates. This call to humility is not another call for moral effort. It's not just try hard enough and you'll get low enough and then I'll raise you up. No, no, this is a call to accept death. Friends, you don't work to get death. Death just comes. And so Jesus came, he took on the lowest place, the place of a servant of all. And then he took on all of our shame, all of our humiliation. He was cast out as a common criminal, as a pariah of society. He was nailed up to a cross. He was hung there naked for all to see. And so as he reverses things, he, he reverses the very first response to sin. As Adam and Eve were created without shame, and then they sinned and, and they felt shame and they hid and they clothed themselves. Instead, Jesus 
takes on all their shame, all their nakedness, and hangs there for the world to see, while his clothing, his righteousness, gets handed off to the people who crucified him. And so, God calls us to take on this death, to accept this lowly place of death, so that we would then be raised with Christ. Because when Jesus died, God raised him from the dead and then raised him to his right hand. Yes, Jesus is the lowly one. He's the one who humbled himself and and received all glory, all honor from God the Father and is now at that highest place. He is above all things and he calls us to be with him. And so Christ reveals to us today in this parable that salvation is not attained through your efforts. It's not attained by your success, by the honor or prestige or glory that you gain in this life. It comes only through death and resurrection. He calls you to come die with me, to join me in my death so that you will be raised with me and live eternally with me. This is the call of Jesus. He calls you to join him at his great wedding feast, his great banquet, to receive death, that you would receive life and salvation, honor and glory. Because God doesn't call the winners of this world to his feast, friends. He calls the losers. And that's you and that's me. He calls, he invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the least, the last, the lost, the forgotten, the overlooked. That's you and that's me. So friends, it's okay to be last in this world because through Christ we are first. This is good news. And so he calls you Simply acknowledge your lowly place, your last place in front of God. To give up trying to impress God, to stop counting the beans, to stop keeping the records of everything you've done because he's wiped it all away. He doesn't care about that. No, he's not impressed with any success, anything you've achieved, but he is impressed with Jesus. And having been united to Jesus in your baptism, having been crucified, buried, and raised again with Jesus, you then receive the full forgiveness, the full life, the full honor and glory that God alone gives through faith in his son, Jesus. So thanks be to God that we can get rid of all that pretense and we can toss out the books and stop keeping the records. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.